Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Good to see you. You too. We had a little social interaction at the weekend. Just a few days ago. How do you feel it went? Um, I think it went well, but I'm nervous now. What, what did you think? I thought it was uh, overall it was good. Yeah. So we took our partners and our children to a disco. Mm-hmm. Daytime disco. A daytime obviously. disco yeah. for kids. We didn't. We didn't. Uh, it would have been strange. Both for us to go to a nighttime disco, mm. and especially strange to take children to one. Yeah, but yes, it was uh, it was a daytime one, and I thought it was successful. I thought you and I didn't have a, a good social click though. Oh, okay. For everybody else in the group, me and Tom, Sarah and mm. Tom, you and Sarah, all fine. I felt like we were a little stilted. Maybe it's because every other interaction never rarely happens so it's a bit like buzzy like tom never gets to see you i don't get to see sarah very mm, much mm. and maybe because we see each other a lot we had less to talk about yeah i agree okay I felt we had a nice little chat about mr men books we did we did <laughs> but i felt like we, yeah we, we it mm. was it was polite we were having polite conversation right we didn't get into it no we, yeah. you know here we are getting into it now mm, mm. I think the problem was, is my big story of the week is my school talk. And I knew that I was going to come and tell you about it today. So I was I was saving it. So it made me feel like I've got nothing else to talk about. I cannot wait. Mm. I cannot wait. Yeah. And then I was worried that I'd annoyed you because I was talking about how good your lover Tom is with, with kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I felt that you took that as a slight, instead of me mm. hearing it as me saying, isn't Tom great? Mm. In the ongoing battle that is any kind of long-term relationship, I think you felt that he'd scored some points that should rightfully be yours. If he gets complimented, my immediate reaction is to cr- criticise him. <laughs> so what does that say about me? I don't know. Um, well, I'm really looking forward to your story. Mm. A little, little story, little story. It's got a little story in my own. Okay. Do you know what the thing that I am very excited about is? Apart, at the moment. apart from succession apart from succession is, is there some beatles thing coming? yes yeah. exactly, exactly, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. is it called get back yes right it's, it's, okay. it's basically what's kept me going this year right i think yeah um it's this peter jackson the director of lord of the rings and the hobbit fame 
he has restored all this footage of the Beatles and he's he's been tasked with editing it. It was a film that came out in 1970, but there was so much more footage than that, something like 60 hours. So he has meticulously restored it using technology that his studios have developed. They did some World War One uh, stuff a few years Ooh. ago, which was, was remarkable. Amazing, yeah. And then a trailer came out last Christmas. It was so exciting. I probably wanked on about it on... Wanged, that was, not wanked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wanged on about it on the uh, on the podcast at the time. But you would have glazed over and, and presumably blotted it. Well, I remembered Get It Back. I remember right, the name well, of it. Okay, okay. That's good for me. And it, it was going to be a film, and now it's going to be a three-part series. Oh, okay. On Disney+, Plus, which are released... Tomorrow, assuming you listen to this on Wednesday, first one Thursday, then Friday, then Saturday, there'll be three parts over the weekend, each, uh, I think, just over two hours. Oh, wow. And I'm so excited about it. It looks amazing. It's exactly the sort of thing you would expect me to be excited about. Yeah. I am, to coincide with the release of this, doing a, a special radio program of my Beetlejuice show. So... I asked Disney if I could get some kind of link to watch a preview. Right. And then, mm. guess what happened? What? Last Tuesday, I received an email inviting me to a screening. Now, I've been to lots of screenings in my life. They're less glamorous than you think they are. Usually what it is is I would say, I mean, you, you've been to them as well. It's like a 20 to 40 seater cinema, mm. sparsely attended. It's usually you, Mark Kermode, maybe someone from the Sunday Telegraph. People scuttle in at the last minute and then scuttle out again as soon as the thing is over. You, you know the sort of thing I'm describing, right? The only exciting thing is that some people have those pens that light up <laughs> so they can take notes. Yeah. I, you know what? I may have just imagined that. <laughs> no, I think you're right. You think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Very distracting, though. Yeah, true. Um, but I've, I've yeah, been to these things over the years. They call them media screenings or review screenings. Mm. And it's great that you get to see stuff. Mm. But um, but that's kind of fair as it goes. So, so I got invited to one last Wednesday evening at seven o'clock at six o'clock i'm still at home i'm giving my son his tea i'm wearing my corduroy trousers i'm dribbling I'm, like i'm end up with half of his tea all down my trousers i've got a scruffy woolly jumper and i think i'm not going to make the screening in time unless i rush which i do because i'm really keen to see this mm, thing mm. it's just a hundred minute preview of the, the thing but i'm really keen to see it so I rush into central London. I arrive at the screening. As soon as I arrive, I realise I've misjudged the situation horribly because it isn't a review screening. It is a premiere. Oh, no, no. I realise this as I notice some of Spandau Ballet oh! <laughs> the pictures taken on the red carpet. And wearing swanky clothes. Yeah, everyone's wearing swanky clothes. No. So, um, Noel Gallagher is there. <laughs> Martin Freeman is there. Mick Hucknall from Simply Red is there. No. It's, it's Stylvis Costello is there. It's star-studded. So I slink in at the last minute. Oh, no. I look as if I should be gardening. I've, I've spent the afternoon gardening. Right, right. So I slink in as the lights go down. Then introduced to the stage is Paul McCartney. 
first thing. Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> and I mean, I loved it. it. It was extraordinary. It was extraordinary to watch it in the presence of a Beatle. Cause part of what we saw was the entire of the rooftop concert, which looks amazing. What they've done with it is, is just incredible. Um, and to, to watch that with Paul McCartney sitting in there, people were applauding the songs. It was just great. But I couldn't quite stay immersed in the film because part of me was thinking, how am I going to get out of here without anybody seeing me? I haven't even cleaned my teeth. I look like an interloper. <laughs> I, look, I look like somebody who, in the days of Beatlemania, maybe like hid in the laundry. Yeah, in one yeah. of those big things to break into the premiere. Right, yes. They would have seen that way to yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. Even in a normal cinema of an, uh, a non-premiere film, I would have looked like maybe somebody would go and have a word with one of the ushers. Nobody would be sitting next to you, would they? Say, They'd be spe- seats that, at the that, side. That guy at the back is creeping me out a bit. <laughs> would you Oh, no, that's terrible. But, so, yeah. but worth it, right? Yeah, so I just yeah. Bol- anyway, just bolted at the end. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Head down. Oh. You know, I didn't look. At, I looked at my feet and didn't look up until I was about a quarter of a kilometre away. No one passed you their rubbish or anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know what? I'm like, I always need the toilet. Mm. But I didn't dare go. I just stayed in my seat until the, until the cinema was empty. You can't draw attention to yourself by going to the toilet. <laughs> Paul McCartney might recognise you. <laughs> oh. If Paul McCartney recognised me, he'd think, God, that, guy, that guy's gone downhill. Mm-mm. I don't hear him on the radio anymore. I don't seem to be, he doesn't yes. seem to be on the interview circuit. Yes. Look what's become yeah. of him. Oh. Gods. <laughs> Gods. <laughs> anyway, that was, uh, that, that was my low point this mm. week. I look forward to hearing your high point of your visit mm. to your old school. Mm. Okay, shall we hear from the Drifters? Yes, firstly from Saskia. Instead of relaying all my stories of teeth grinding, awkward silences and inappropriate comments as it would turn into a very long email, I should tell you about two mini incidents which happened on the same day. Yes, the same day. Is there a religion or cult that could miraculously cure me? We may never know. Let me get on. The first was just as I finished work. I work in a small pub. Yes, I hate the constant interaction with other humans. When we finish, we sometimes have a staff drink. It was a Friday on this occasion, so I chose to have a small drink before heading home. My friend, who used to work in the pub, came in and we got chatting. So far, all normal. Then it comes the time for me to leave. I do a general wave to the rest of the people still working and turn to my friend, who put up his hand and says, Bye, sass. And for some insane reason, my weird little brain translates this as he definitely wants a high five. (laughs) <laughs> who high five to say goodbye only surfer dudes in california high five to say goodbye and i cannot surf i am not a dude and i do not live in california but before i realize what's happening i notice my hand slowly getting closer to his until it lands pathetically on his uh, hand uh. it wasn't even a powerful high five it was just awkward and regrettable We stand facing each other, hands interlocked, like we're in some cheesy 80s rom-com for a good few seconds. I do not know why. I was willing my hand to move, but I was frozen in time. He just looked at me with such confusion and asked, what the F are you doing? (laughs) 
quickly replied, no idea, and ran out of the pub quickly applying the port protocol. The second awkward event of the day happened on the way home. Still reeling from the aforementioned encounter, I swung by Tesco to grab some bits for dinner and a new makeup brush as most of mine were on their last legs. During self-service checkout, I placed my tote bag in the bagging area, which of course made the machine throw a hissy fit, even though I'd pressed the using my own bag button. So I assumed the position, standing awkwardly at an angle, trying to get the Tesco guy's attention without seeming rude or making a scene, and trying to express my apologies for the inconvenience through my awkward smile. He eventually comes over, presses a few buttons and goes on his way. This little dance happens a few more times as this machine clearly has some sort of deal with the devil to make my life as difficult as possible. And since when did you get ID'd buying paracetamol? Anyway, by the third time, I can see his annoyance growing like a balloon that might pop soon. And all I can muster is a quiet, sorry again, thanks, every time he comes and goes. The last item is the makeup brush. What I didn't realise when I picked it up was that it had a magnetic security badge on it. My heart stops. This means I'm going to have to get this poor guy over again. I take my position, catch his eye. His face is just full of disgust as he walks over, frees a little makeup brush from its necessary shackles and walks away before I can even get out a thank you. I scan the makeup brush and then realise that he has already scanned the brush. I hadn't noticed him doing it due to all his <laughs> rapid button brushing. I am now being charged for two makeup brushes. I can't bear to call the guy over again, <laughs> but I'm being charged twice for one brush and they aren't cheap. So it's resulted in quite a fair bit added to the total. What do I do? I put it in my bag, of course, pay, walked out the shop as quickly as my little legs would take me. The thought of calling that guy over one more time was so soul crushing. I just couldn't bring myself to put either of us through <laughs> that again. If anyone needs me, I should be selling everything I own to recoup my losses after buying the most overpriced makeup brush on the planet twice. You did what any drifter would have done there, Saskia. Yes, you did. You did. Uh, this is from Jenny on the subject of things you can't stop thinking of. She says, I started listening to your podcast just under podcast just under two years ago on the recommendation of a colleague who I can only assume recognised me as a socially awkward individual, which is fine, as he also fits into this category. I binge listened over lockdown to catch up. And I remember that in early episodes, you used to send Annabelle out to do a weekly challenge. Oh, that was a hangover from the radio show, yeah. wasn't it? And then when you had Rudy, there just wasn't the time for you to do no. one. No. I particularly remember that one week she set up a fan club for the stringy bits outside a banana peel and went round the supermarket persuading shoppers to join. Now, every time I peel a banana, I think about Annabelle trying to coerce <laughs> innocent old ladies into joining the Stringy Bits from Banana fan club. And it always makes me smile. I like the fact that I feature in someone's um, constant thoughts on something. It's nice. <laughs> do you have any memory of doing that? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, you do? Because I remember I was heavily pregnant at the time. And I think while I was doing it, I thought my waters were breaking. And I thought, this is not how I imagined. <laughs> this is not how I imagined this happening. <laughs> Being in Sainsbury's and like pestering people to join this weird fan club. <laughs> <sighs> and this is the last one from Anon. I've been arranging our work Christmas party. I made a WhatsApp group and a Facebook group and added all the usual suspects. We've had a whole new bunch of colleagues start, some to be trained and transferred and some to stay with us. So it's not always easy to keep up with who's who. Anyway, I had two more numbers to get, Matt's and Maria's. I saw Matt come into the warehouse, so I shouted over to him, Matt, nice and loud so he could hear. 
I walked over, added a few more mats into the conversation before I said, I'll add you to the Christmas party Facebook group. What's your full name? Adam. Uh. My brain crashed in my head and I wanted the world to vanish. I focused only on the phone looking for Adam on Facebook. I, of course, then adopted the port protocol. Of course you did. Yeah. Please send us your story of social interaction gone awry or of the, uh, the the layers of things that are lodged on top of any particular activity in your brain. The email address is hello at adriftpodcast.com. We're here. I'm ready mm. to enjoy this. Mm. Uh, it's another way in which you're not a fully functioning adult. Yeah. And shall I give the context or, or do you want to? Mm-hmm, I will. Okay, let's let's hear it then. I am going to lean back and enjoy. <laughs> so the big day has been and gone. The day of my speech to the year 12 of my old secondary school. So I'm going to take you back to the night before, first of all, because I noticed that the headmaster of this school had tweeted about my impending moment of glory and also about the other speaker. Now, you may remember I've been told the other speaker was a another old girl who was now a head teacher of a local primary school and she'd left more recently than me. Yes. So I got to investigate her, which, of course, I did. Did some heavy duty Googling and oh, my God. I think being asked to do a speech at your old school should be at a time when you feel like you're successful. <laughs> Following my investigations, I have never felt like more of a failure and waste of space compared to this other speaker. <laughs> and she's someone who does loads of stuff for the community and a lot of work in the areas of diversity and unconscious bias and Black History Month and still find the time to have three children. So I'm panicking now about how pathetic I've been looking in comparison. But I finished my speech and I'm quite pleased with it as I managed to get in the words incontinent, prison and strippogram. <laughs> the next day I drive to the school and I found it so weird going back for the first time in 20, 28 years. I felt like, oh, I know what my future is now. Like, this is it. Like It was it was a very, very strange feeling that I was having. How do you mean? Well, when you're at school, you always wonder, like, what's going to happen to you? Oh, I see what you mean. And yeah, now yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. It was very strange. Yeah. When I arrive, I get taken to the headmaster's office. <coughs> Excuse me. He's really lovely. Speak to him. And then I meet the other speaker. She's lovely too. And then it comes up a conversation that there's only one of my old teachers left at the school, who is Mr. Hayton. Uh, and he taught me A-level history. And it was a really small group of us. And he was really young. He was pretty much a newly qualified teacher. And we all got on to the extent that when we finished our last lessons and our exams, we went to the pub with him. So I'm thinking, I would like to see Mr. Hayton again. We always got on really well. So they get him to come down. And let me tell you, he had no idea who I was. But I can't believe how self-centred I was. That like 28 years on, like having taught thousands in the meantime, that I thought he'd still remember me. It was just incredibly awkward. Like he had just didn't have a clue, and it was oh. it was the worst. Can you tell ever. me? Uh, just give me any more of, of how that played out. How you knew? Just the the blankness. Just I thought he'd be like, oh, I can't believe this is long. Like, oh, how Steph doing? I don't know. I thought he 
he was going to say. It was just none of that. And what did he say? He was just like, well, nice, nice of you, nice to see. You. Like he didn't say anything. It was just the the cagedness and, and completely he, neutral. Yes, yeah. yes. There was nothing to indicate that he had any memory. I could have been there ten years ago, five years ago, thirty years ago. He didn't know. I just thought he'd say something, but what was he going to say? I thought he was going to say something like, well, I always wondered how you'd get on in life. So good. I don't know what I thought. I've always tracked your career. I've always monitored your career <laughs> yeah, with interest. Yeah. Oh, no. dear. Anyway. It does, um, it does give an insight into the levels of excitement that were clearly buzzing around that school at the prospect of you coming and giving that speech. <laughs> Yeah, zero. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> totally zero. <sighs> so we go into the school now. Into sorry, into the hall now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walk up onto the stage with the head teacher, a couple of other teachers, the other speaker, and I see the pupils for the first time. They're all sitting waiting, and I realise that I have very dramatically misjudged the tone and content of my speech. What? I was writing a speech. For the student that I was then. I was imagining me, year 12. I wrote the speech for that person. But this school has changed a lot over the years. So it's a grammar school. So it's free for everyone. But you have to pass an exam at 11 to get in. And the catchment area has dramatically increased since I was there. Like I would have never have got in if it were like that when I were 11. Like never. These are the brightest kids in the whole of Essex and East London. Is it is it the creme de la creme? It is the creme de la creme. <laughs> they have excelled academically. They are not wasting their zillions of brain cells thinking about boys and makeup and which Thunderbird fortified wine is better, the blue or the red. I think you have a very interesting self-image. Like, I think you imagine yourself as Marmalade Atkins. When I don't know that anybody meeting you as a teenager would necessarily come away with that. These were, it, they were different people. They were just different people. They're very studious. Okay. So there were two speeches, me and this other girl. And she, as it turns out, is someone, you know, people who are energised by public speaking. They yes. come alive on yes. stage. She had no notes. She just spoke from the heart. What? There were dramatic pauses, what? inspiring stories, profound observations. It was her, it was her Tim Key moment. Did you see that Tim Tim Key speech she gave to a, a graduating year in Australia? No. It was, it was her Tim Key moment. And then there was me, who seems to shrink during public speaking in front of others. I could feel myself getting smaller and smaller. Mm. And they'd asked me to talk a bit about my radio career. And I thought, well, what's the thing I most get asked about? The thing I get most asked about is, oh, what celebrities have you met and what they're like? So I did this whole bit listing famous people I'd met. And honestly, because we did do it. We did a one person focus group with uh, with with our babysitter. Yes. Yes. Eve, who is, uh, I think, 15. To check if the people that we thought were famous are still famous to young people. But honestly, at best, it was like someone their mum's age trying to be cool. <laughs> At worst, it was just really ugly bragging. I was going, <laughs> yeah, Ricky Gervais, uh, Matt Damon, Adele. And the most terrible thing of all, I haven't, I haven't actually even met Adele. When she came in, you pre-recorded it and I wasn't around. I lied to impress them. <laughs> so pathetic. 
And I finished my speech by saying I was sad for them that their GCSEs got cancelled, but not as sad as I was for their teachers as they couldn't play the invigilator game. And then I told them about the invigilator game, which is when a teacher, the teachers pick a topic, like, for example, most likely to end up in prison. And then the teacher has to go and walk and stand by the person think is most likely to do that. When my talk was over, the teacher who was hosting the event got up, went over to the microphone and said, quite tersely, I can assure you we don't play the invigilator game here. <laughs> and when the other girl finished her speech, the other old girl, the teacher went, what incredibly wise words. I hope you listened to all those oh, words and, no. and took all that oh, in. Thank you so oh, much. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so it looks like I won't be invited back again. Unless it's another 28 years when everyone has left and it's a totally new set of teachers. And I'm then 74. And I think it's going to take me that long to get over it. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. First one is, do you have something in your back pocket for the bit of the evening? Maybe it's when you're eating. Maybe it's just before you're about to go to bed where you don't want your big chunky drama thing that you're watching. You just want something that you can put on for 20 minutes or half an hour. Um, I, I, know, I know what you're talking about. Yes. So at the moment, we are dipping in and out of a thing called I think it's called the films that made us or the movies that made us on Netflix and it's lots of 80s and 90s films like Back to the Future and um, you're not getting Michael J Fox or Christopher Lloyd or Robert Zemeckis or anyone like that but you're getting one of the script writers and the person who did the costumes and some minor character and it's the story of the film and they're, they're, they're quite diverting right anyway we were watching the pretty woman one the other day and they were talking about the fact that that julia roberts character i think is vivian mm -hmm. she has this rule that she won't kiss in her role as a sex worker because it's too intimate. Yeah. And it comes out that that comes from the producer of the film. His wife suggested it. She said, oh, it's just too personal kissing, isn't it? Now. Right. Mm -hmm. That film came out in 1990. Mm. For 31 years, I just thought that was a truth of people in that line of work. Oh. that that was the rule and it's entirely just based on something that the producer's wife said you know what yeah i guess i thought that i didn't think that everyone thought that way but i thought it generally a lot lot of sex workers didn't want to do that unless since that film they thought yeah actually maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah i was so interested to find that mm. out 
Because it had always been in the back of my mind. Always. I think, that, I think that's less less personal than some of the other stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I could, I could do that a bit easier, a bit more easily than some of the other stuff. Right, yeah, depending on what the other stuff is, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so, so that was that. I do that. That film is such a guilty pleasure of mine. It's one of those things that I, I just love so much about how bad it is. Like it, she lights up the screen, and it is this classic in this way. And then it's so deeply flawed in all these other ways. Mm. And I've said before, there's this scene where she says to Richard Gere's character that yeah, he he says that he wants to hire her for the entire week and she names a price and i can't even remember what it is but um say it's like five thousand dollars and he negotiates her down and they end up at three thousand dollars i think it's so weird that we all fell in love with a rom-com where a billionaire a billionaire mm, mm, mm. who's made his billions through asset stripping <laughs> wields his power <laughs> over a sex worker who just hours previously was walking the streets <laughs> over an amount of money that has no significance to him at all but it's just a power play that that, that he can negotiate with her and we're rooting for the for her to get with him like what i know <laughs> What's so wrong it's so weird isn't it and then the other thing i always say about it is there was for many years speculation that they'd do a sequel Mm. And I always enjoyed when people would get excited about the prospect of there being a Pretty Woman sequel. I always enjoyed just imagining what the storyline could possibly be. (laughs) (laughs) Because either they're just a married couple and her former life doesn't factor into it, Mm. or there's been a turn of events. Mm. And one or the other of them is back street walking. What are the other of them? Like, if it's him, yeah. yes. It's difficult to imagine that as a light rom-com as well, isn't it? Well, it's difficult to imagine Pretty Woman as a light rom-com. Yes, yeah. This this point was made yeah. repeatedly in this show. I'm not saying um, this is the greatest TV you'll ever watch, but it is it is mildly diverting these. I think they're called um, Movies That Made Us. Secondly, mm. and this will lead us nicely, I think, into Quandary Corner. Mm. My son of a morning will come and get into bed with me around 6, 6.15. And um, and then I doze while he watches something on CBeebies. Mm-hmm. Another piece of information is our washing machine is not working at the moment. I'm oh, sorry to hear that. That's this whole thing. Everything in this house. Well, yeah. I mean, every week is something different. Yeah. Um, as it happened, he he came in a couple of days ago, and while I was dozing, he managed to bleed all over the bed sheets. He had some kind of scab on his knee from where he'd fallen over, mm. picked at it, and then the amount of blood that he managed to lose in the time that I dozed. I mean, it's it's quite incredible it and my question is is it possible for me to take those sheets to a laundrette (laughs) without it looking like i've murdered someone because (laughs) this looks beyond menstrual it's blood blood bath yeah yeah 
think your only option is to put them in the bath. Right. It's your only option. I'm not sure I'll do the trick with them. Otherwise, you'd have the hassle with like, the police coming round. <laughs> like... So if I took them to the laundrette, would I have to explain? If I said, oh, I just want to know, I just want you to know that I haven't murdered anyone. <laughs> Please don't do would that. Would that make Please. it look more like I'd murdered someone? I'd rather uh, I'd rather I wash them than bath for you than <laughs> to hear that you'd ever done that. <laughs> but I'll take them home with me, wash them at my house. <laughs> Quandary Corner at the Glatt Clinic here in Problematic. From Matt, first of all. Two or three years ago, I received a friend request from a chap who was in my year at school. We first met in middle school when we were put in the same class and made to sit next to each other. We got on okay and developed a friendship as the year progressed, albeit with a couple of odd happenings along the way. I distinctly recall him telling me at one point that we'd been made to sit with each other for competition at the age of 11. Despite being shy in certain situations, at this time I was fairly comfortable in my status at school. Fairly good academically, a bit cheeky, pretty good at football and athletics, but useless at swimming and rounders. So being forced into academic competitiveness was something that didn't sit comfortably with me. He was also obsessed with the song 19 and took pleasure in writing out the lyrics on a piece of A4 paper to show everyone, which I always found slightly odd. (laughs) We fell out a little towards the end of the academic year. The following year, we were in separate classes. And then at secondary school, we had barely any contact. So I was quite surprised to receive a friend request after we'd commented separately on one or two posts on our secondary school Friends Reunited type page. I have to admit, I did think about whether to accept the request more than I would normally do because my overriding opinion of him was that he was a bit of a dick. And as it takes a hell of a lot to offend me, that's saying something. But I thought, what the hell, and accepted. I'm going to cough now. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, this guy posts quite a lot for a middle-aged married man, probably once or twice a day on average. Some of his posts I'm fine with, as his political leanings do coincide with mine. But there do seem to be a few too many about how he was the lead singer in a couple of bands in his late teens, early 20s, and therefore he knows so much more about music than everyone else. However, the posts which have given me a quandary are ones where he blatantly lies about his age. (laughs) On his Facebook profile, it shows his birth date, but not the year. Sneaky, but perfectly allowable, of course. On a few posts he's made, he's dated something incorrectly to make himself appear younger than he actually is. At first, I thought it was a genuine mistake and gave him the benefit of the doubt. But a recent post was so obviously incorrect, it made me seethe slightly. And I'm laid back to the point of being horizontal. The post in question referred to him seeing the band The Maccabees in concert in 2016. And in it, he said... I first saw these guys in Brighton, probably 2016. Jason, my bass player, bought me a ticket and we went. Average age of audience, 19. I was in my 30s. Now, referring to someone as my bass player is a sort of pretentious claptrap that bugs me. (laughs) But in 2016, he would have been 42 or 43, nowhere near his 30s. He must know that he's putting false information out there. I wonder what his wife thinks about him fibbing about his age, unless he's fibbed to her as well. My quandary is, should I call him out on it next time it happens? Am I letting this bug me too much? No one has reacted to the post above, so if I had commented, no one would have really noticed anyway. Should I just block his post from appearing on my feed and get on with my life? Or 
Should I take a stand for truth and justice? Well, the first thing that stands out is that all these years later, he's still very preoccupied with the average age being 19. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, Here's what I would do. Hmm. Passive-aggressively like any status where he's clearly lying about his age and never oh. interact with him at all yes. apart from that. Or there is an emoji you can use. I don't think it's one of the Facebook reactions, but if you if you look at emoji, is it like um, it's just a pair of eyes or something like that? Oh, it's sort of Jess, I see you. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I see you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Simple. So you don't write anything. No, 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 no. no nothing can come back at you. You're not shaming him. No, no. You're just, you're just doing those eyes. You're letting him know that you know he is lying about his age. Yeah. I think that's the uh, that's the thing to do, and isn't I think it? that's the perfect solution. These ones here. You know what? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking the sort of. Yeah, eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. The two eyes, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Great. Well, let's go on to the next one then from Anon. My husband and I live in a small rural northern village. We moved in about a year ago. And despite both being massive drifters, we have made a real effort to have small talk with neighbours and get involved in community groups. Perhaps this was our first mistake, but in a previous village, our lack of communication caused some animosity with our neighbours, which resulted in a lot of passive-aggressive notes on my car windscreen. So I'm very keen not to repeat past mistakes. I work from home in my living room, which you can see from our front window as my desk is in the front room. I always answer the door in the day if I'm working, sometimes even if I'm in a meeting with my camera off because we have nowhere that delivers we're nowhere that deliverers can leave parcels. And I feel awkward relying on neighbours to take in our large number of deliveries, especially when I'm clearly at home. But occasionally a neighbour will knock on our door in the day and I answer thinking it's a quick parcel, only to find a neighbour who wants to have a chat. I'm left awkwardly distracted about the work I should be doing, kind of annoyed that someone has knocked on my door in the middle of a working day, and more annoyed at myself for answering when I should be working. What do I do? Do I have to move home? I feel like the first thing I need to know is the name of this village so that I don't ever accidentally move there. <laughs> Sounds horrendous. Um, but it's... I t- to, to be that unself-aware that it's on the middle of a Monday or something and someone's working from home and they're just happy to have a chat is very weird to me. Never answer the door without pretending that you're on the phone. Oh, always be on a work call. Yeah. So you kind of, you go to the door and you go to the yeah. phone in your ear and you go, oh, just hang on a second. And then you put your hand over the thing. And go, Hi, I'm just on a work call like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do a lot of like, bye, bye, yeah, sell, no, sell those ones. Yeah, like... <laughs> You're some like hot city trader. Yes. Very, something very important. What would you do? Mm, that. <laughs> what about the passive aggressive notes? Because you, you have a neighbour who attaches a lot of notes, admittedly not to your car, but to an, a nearby hedge. Yes. Yes. I think he's a quite unwell. <laughs> As might be guessed from the fact he puts a lot of notes on the hedge. I like to pretend easy. sometimes the hedge is talking to me. <laughs> but the things that hedge says, not the hedge is not well either. <laughs> I really had because it's it's not an obvious surface to attach no. adhesive material to. No, it's quite tricky, but somehow he manages it. And there's a lot up there. That hedge. Sometimes I think, if only hedges could talk away. Do I wish more didn't? There's a reason why they can't talk. So they sound like this. 
I can't we, we all sorted. I think so. Marvellous. If you have a quandary, we would love to hear from you. It is hello at adriftpodcast.com. our podcast thank you for listening please send us your stories and your weird associations and your quandaries hello at adriftpodcast.com thanks to man and the echo for the backing music and to emily harrison for the incidental music carla gowlett took our photos kim rainey designed our artwork and um high five Hmm, what the f are you doing (laughs) This comes from Lizzie Kennedy, this podication that we have here in our inbox. It says, hi, Annabelle and Jeff. Hi. I hope you don't mind, but please, can I nominate myself to have a podcast dedicated to myself? You can. Absolutely. I stumbled across Adrift this summer finding you because i enjoy listening to ed's other podcast sorry jeff's other podcast with ed that's great to know i don't know that we get that much traffic that way Mm -hmm. they're quite different entities yeah Uh, she says i love the stories on your podcast i try to recount them to my husband and children regularly but they don't understand and i'm not sure i recount them correctly let me tell you something lizzie very similar thing happens to me if i often try and tell friends or my wife the stories that I use on the podcast in real life. <laughs> it's almost like the podcast exists as some kind of uh, vehicle for me to be able to have conversational skills. And have you ever tried to tell a story from an email from someone else, like a really great one? I've got, and, and like you start telling them, and you just like, it's, it's t- you just don't get it all wrong, and they I know. haven't got their turn of phrase, and I know, it's just a I know. Conti- different beast, and it just ends up being a disaster. Lizzie continues. I've recently been very poorly and I'm thankfully recovering. I'm really sorry to hear that, Lizzie. Um, I've returned to work as a teacher and I'm back on a phased return. I'm working four mornings at the moment. I'm using the extra time to listen to past episodes of Adrift. That's lovely to know. Mm. I mean, I have to be honest. I think the back catalogue is a little patchy. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what I think. Mm. I think hopefully I'm coming out of the rut a little bit, but the the pandemic, I don't think, for for all my yammering on about how much I uh, am well suited to a lockdown, I don't think you would necessarily glean that from listening to me on the podcast that were released during that period. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, I've not listened back to them. But... No, but you were sat here. <laughs> I was here. I was there at the time. You know, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. No, I don't. No. 
Sorry, no. Like the long sort of 15-minute meandering. Oh, yeah, well, there was quite a rambly phase, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah, no, that, that was popular among some people. Yeah, but then not others. Mm. I don't know. Yes. Anyway, Lizzie, I, I would say don't dig too deep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I hope you don't mind me nominating myself. Keep being yourselves. Well, we don't mind at all. No. And I'm really pleased to hear that you're getting better and sorry to hear that you're... Uh, that you've been poorly. Four mornings, that sounds civilised. That's mm, nice. Um, Lizzie Kennedy. Well, we can keep this between us, Lizzie. You don't need to go uh, telling your husband and children about this podication. No, it's our little secret. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the latest edition of the podcast. Podicated to Lizzie Kennedy. And if you would like one for you, you can email us. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.